Well, I'm Anson Mount. I am Brandon Edgens. And Brandon, you just got back from New Orleans, huh? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of our favorite places. How could it not be everyone's favorite place? It's it's Lucifer's favorite town, they say. <laughs> say no more. <laughs> say no more. <laughs> Which I, oh, I find to be kind of a sad idea, in a way, that it took him so long to find his favorite city. <laughs> you know, like Babylon wasn't good enough. He's already had a tough time. You know, being thrown out of heaven. I mean, it's a he's had a hard life. Well, as you know, this last weekend, I was at the Philadelphia Comic-Con. And I have to say, it was a lovely, lovely experience all the way around. And the best thing about these conventions I've learned is getting to have the one-on-one -on -one experiences with the fans. But a really close second to this is the opportunity to rediscover your own fandom. You know, your mm -hmm. own childhood. So... It's Saturday afternoon at the convention, and a lot of the people there are on lunch break, and I, I'm sitting at a coffee table checking my emails when I hear someone on the other end of the table mention my TV show. And I look up, and I immediately recognize this person. Not because I've ever worked with him, because he's not even known predominantly as an actor. I recognized him because when I was about six or seven years old, my Aunt Anne the person I credit with introducing me to rock and roll showed me his picture, told me about the things he had done. And I was terrified. <laughs> Can you guess who I'm talking about? Well, I, it's sort of cheating because you sent me the picture. So I do know who you're talking about. <laughs> who am I talking you're about? You're talking about Alice Cooper. That is right. And so for the listeners who don't necessarily know who Alice Cooper is, or have only heard the name or are too young, how would you explain the importance of Alice Cooper to American culture? The easiest way, I think, for the young, the younger folks out there would be there would be no Marilyn Manson without Cooper. <laughs> More than that, I mean, I mean, I mean, starting there. Yeah, I mean, and, and every, because that might make it sound like maybe he should not have ever existed. Uh, uh, <laughs> I would say, but I mean, but, Mar but Marilyn, Marilyn Manson, and everything that Marilyn Ma Manson represents. Right. I mean, he was. Uh, this this amalgam of metal and theater and and you know you look back on his stuff now and it's and it seems kind of quaint but back then i don't know i guess his it, that live performance stuff you know the live or live quotation marks decapitations and stuff like that right really freaked people out it was simpler times right they called it <laughs> shock rock right and it took the world by storm uh, I think he was the first rocker to to have to f contend with nations not wanting him to be to play their countries. Mm -hmm. He introduced showmanship to rock and roll, so mm -hmm. there there would be no Megadeth, there would be no there would be no Iron Maiden, there would be no Metallica, there would be no Slayer, there would be no God King Diamond, there would be none of the great, certainly no Ozzy, no Guar mm -hmm. without Alice Cooper. So you know. I'm sitting there staring straight into the smiling face of the man who had once terrified me. And it turns out he's a fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you terrify him. <laughs> it's just one of those weird things that you learn to accept in this line of work. So 
Anyway, Alice Cooper's real name, or his original name, is Vincent Damon Furnier, and his band was called Alice Cooper until Vincent changed his own name to that of his band much later. And I only point that out because in the interview, you'll hear him at various times refer to the band Alice Cooper, the character he played in his shows that was also called Alice Cooper, and it, it can all get a bit jumbled if you aren't as brushed up on your rock history as we are. <laughs> anyway... I, I have to say that despite how the character of Alice Cooper frightened me as a child, Alice Cooper, the man, is one of the nicest people you will ever meet. And very smart. Oh, yeah. Really, really smart. He can bounce from one subject to the next, get deeply curious about everyone else's opinions, then come back around, weave all the ideas together, and leave everyone charmed at the same time. He was a lovely, lovely guy. Anyway... I, of course, I, you know, I got my picture taken with him, and as you've already stated, I sent it to you, and, and then that night, you texted me back, mm -hmm. and your response was just stopped me dead in my tracks. You, you texted back, you know he's a professional golfer, right? <laughs> and I was like, what? Because my mother exactly used to be a professional golfer, and I, I, I would have known this. Uh, but I was like, really? And you're like, oh, yeah. So I looked it up. He's not actually a professional golfer. He thought about becoming a professional golfer at one point. But as he told me, he had determined that the only way he'd do it is that if he made it into the Masters, he would definitely wear the Alice Cooper face paint. And he couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't stomach the idea of losing in that situation. <laughs> so he stuck with rock. So, yeah. So, so I thought to myself, okay, I got to ask. So... On Sunday, before we left, I caught him in the green room, and now I didn't have my regular equipment with me, so all I had was my phone. I'll apologize for the quality of the recording now. You'll hear the convention happening in the background, but it was a great conversation. You ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, how did you discover golf? What's the story? I had to find an addiction that was going not to kill me. <laughs> I, was, uh, I had all the addictions that were killing me, drugs and alcohol, back in the day. So 37 years ago, I quit doing everything. I got up one morning and threw up blood and realized that probably was a bad sign. Yeah, pr probably. And uh, so I, when I got sober, I, uh, I said, well, I've got to find something, because I knew I had an addictive personality. So whatever I was going to get into, I was going to get into, and I was going to... So golf, I lived in Arizona. And I went, well, what could I do five hours a day? And I always like sports. I said, okay, I'll go out and hit the golf ball. I hit the first shot right dead down the middle with a little draw. Oh, come on. And I went. Really? And the teacher even said, how long have you been playing? I said, that was the first swing I ever made. And he says, well, you're a natural. By the end of that year, I was like a seven handicap. Wow. You know, but... It just—it was just something I could do, and that weird. Just like some people can pick up a guitar and play it, some people can sit behind a set of drums. I picked up a golf club, and it was just natural in my hands. You know, oh, wow. so I play six days a week. You know. <laughs> wow. And how's how do you feel that your game has changed from? that first round to now in the biggest way you know everybody tries to start out the game because we're all baseball players we're all learn we all learn oh, to yeah. be baseball players so we all swing hard yeah yeah because it'll go farther right just the opposite in golf it's all about how smooth the swing is and how easy the swing is and that's when you see the ball disappear 
Uh, so I had to learn how to smooth, how to swing smooth, and just just unlearn the baseball swing. But I had good teachers. I had uh, Johnny Miller was one of my teachers, and Rocco Mediat and John Daly. John Daly was my short game teacher, like 60 yards in. Wow. I asked Tiger and Phil one time, I said, who's the best guy 60 yards in? I thought for sure they'd say Phil. And even Phil said, John Daly. And I went, really? And I knew John Daly pretty well. Uh, so he would, you know, he was my 60 yard in guy. You know. What? I mean, that's so funny because when you think of John Daly, you think about the big drive, yeah, right? That's exactly it. But if you go back and look, when he when he won the the PGA and the British Open, he would hit the ball further. But these these great players would be eight feet from the pin. He'd be three feet from the pin because he would hit that shot in there and roll it right in. You know. So, but nobody noticed that. You're right. Everybody liked the big drive. You know that wasn't his strength. His strength was the short game. Did you guys uh, connect on on? the subject of addiction well with him you know I, I he was he's a lot of fun so he can make fun of himself I told him I said your, your problem is not drinking and gambling I said your problem is every time you get drunk you get married <laughs> <laughs> he's like got his seventh wife or something and I think four of them are Hooters waitresses you know n not that there's anything wrong with that nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that oh no there's nothing wrong with that at all <laughs> But John was like, if you're ever going to make a movie, oh yeah, John Daly's life is a script written by itself. He finally finds the one really straight girl, marries her, and she gets arrested for laundering money for the cartel. <laughs> Millions of dollars, and he knows nothing about it. <laughs> I said that, you can't write that. You cannot write that. I mean, it's really amazing, you know. But I think the girl who's with him now has got him pretty straight. He's, he's out there playing the senior story. He's playing pretty well. Now, what makes for a good golf instructor in your mind? Yeah, a guy that's not trying to change your swing. Um, everybody has a natural swing. And when you get a guy trying to reconstruct that swing from the ground up, well, 80% of your swing is okay. It's, it's all those, where's your hands? Where's this? Everybody has a different rhythm, you know. So my teachers didn't try to change my swing. They tried to change position huh. of my hands and my feet and everything. And once I got that position, I very rarely miss a fairway. I mean, if I miss a fairway, it's like, you know, shocking to people. They go, you missed a fairway? <laughs> so I hit it straight. You know, that's funny. I, I taught acting for a while, and in my early years, when I, a student presented a piece, I would begin with a lot of talking. Yeah. And in my later years as a teacher, I would begin with a lot of questions. Oh, well, that's interesting. You know, so when you watch a guy that's coming in, like maybe brand new to acting, is some of his natural instincts pretty good? Well, uh, Depending on if it's stage acting or film acting. I mean, I know there's two different things, you know. You mean in general? In general, if this guy has something that's really interesting, quirky, that you go, wow, that's, that draws you in. So you don't try to change that, but you try to give him some different tools, right? Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, yeah. is that each 
actor is a different animal, yeah. just like each writer or painter is a, is a different animal. And they have a different relationship to this really weird forest that they have trouble seeing for the woods around them. Yeah. I just try to help them see the forest yeah. and provide uh, a couple of other ways of looking at it. Is, is it hard to, it must be hard to divorce you from the character. No, I don't feel... I, I'm a very practical actor, yeah. and uh, I'm of the belief that it's called a play for a reason. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. not called an emote. <laughs> <laughs> and I like to look at my work as a craftsman rather yeah. than as um, somebody who's subject to it. So do you study the character for a long time before you play him? In other words, or do you, do you, do you kind of say, well, is, it, this guy? For as, for as long as I have available, uh, sometimes you don't have a lot of time at all and you have to find it on your feet and a lot of people get intimidated by that but you just sort of got to work with what you what you have so when, when they said you're going to be captain did you go okay I got to go look at Shatner I got to go look at <laughs> Picard I got to go look at all these guys and just see how they handled it or just no I'm going to handle this the way I would do it well I was already a Trek student and, and I'm just going to cut in right here because this is about the time I realized wait a minute <laughs> how did this turn into alice cooper interviewing me <laughs> right right but that's what i mean the guy's 71 years old and he still has that rampant curiosity of a child which i just find terribly endearing anyway uh when we come back you'll hear me try to wrestle control of the microphone from the king of shock rock <laughs> alice cooper <laughs> Hey, Brandon. Hey, Anson. Do you subscribe to anything? Yes. What? I subscribe to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't count. Okay, I subscribe to... I subscribe to... I used to, I used to subscribe to Scientific American. I did. Nothing else? Um, it's a couple of podcasts. Let's see. Wait a minute. Uh, the Daily. Okay. Subscribe so you're, you're staying up to date. Uh -huh. Well, we want to let all our listeners know that if you're not already subscribed to this show... You should make sure you download the Apple Podcasts app to your phone or the Stitcher, Spotify, or TuneIn apps and subscribe to The Well. That way, you'll get new episodes downloaded to your device automatically. And you can also subscribe to our newsletter, which we use to bring you behind-the-scenes news, guest updates, and fan opportunities. Just go to our website, thewellpod.com, and hit the newsletter tab. Signing up is super fast and simple. Now that I'm thinking about it, have you subscribed to our newsletter? No. Because I'm making it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it's a weird thing to subscribe to. Like, oh, I can't wait to to see <laughs> what I wrote. What I wrote. <laughs> Come at me from the in, back into my mailbox again. best course you've ever gotten to play on i would if i was going to play one the rest of my life i belong to one called mckenna in maui that is you could play the rest of your life forever you know just that kind of course if i was going to play one here in in this just in the continental united states it would be Muirfield, probably in columbus ohio that's always been such a tough course but it's such a great course you know. Who, who's the best course designer of all time? You know, a lot of people will say the old guys 
you know, it's the Donald Ross course or this is that. I have always, there's probably guys out there that are no-name guys that do great courses. When we play on the road, we'll be in Kansas one day, Wichita, and then we'll be in, you know, Illinois, and then we'll be in Kentucky. And we play every day. Callaway sets us up. And we'll get to this little country club somewhere in Connecticut. And on the first tee, there's a little plaque there that says, home of the U.S. Open 1938. And you go, what? <laughs> you know, but there's 20 or 30 of those around the Donald Ross courses that were used for the PGA Championship. And there's courses you never heard of. Whereas you always hear of Pine Valley, you always hear of Pebble Beach, you always hear... There's a bunch of little country clubs out there that are just spectacular. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting field, golf architecture. It, yeah, because you have to... It has to be somebody that knows what they're doing. Because if you play golf, you understand where do you hit that first shot. Now, are you going to protect the green? If you're going to protect the green, then you've got to make it a shorter shot. If you're gonna protect it with length, then you gotta take some of the sand traps away. You know, in other words, you have to give up one thing to do the other. So a lot of these courses are tight little courses that are well trapped. You don't have to hit long, you have to hit it straight. Phoenix Country Club is like that. So sensing that our time was limited and given the fact that this podcast is a show about creativity and this is Alice freaking Cooper. Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) this was the guy who he really changed the concert uh, before him rock shows they were pretty much you know you come to the stadium the band is on the stage and they do the album but alice cooper the band the character and now the man who has adopted that moniker is his name they decided that if kids were going to pay money to come and see them live then they had to give them something more without alice cooper there would be no kiss Mm-hmm. There would be no Iron Maiden, as I've already said. There would be no Metallica, no Megadeth, no no Twisted Sister, no, as I've already said, King Diamond, no Guar, no Rammstein, <laughs> no Slipknot. <laughs> Definitely no Marilyn Manson. Don't even get me started. So I knew I had to ask Alice something about the art of showmanship. Mm. I, I always thought rock and roll was, I mean, we, we were, if we did eight hours rehearsal, seven hours was on the music. It was like, if you were acting, you, you know that character dead on. Now you can play with them a little bit. The music was the core of everything. If you didn't have that, you didn't have a show. Uh, West Side Story without the music is just a bunch of guys fighting and dancing. So the music was always the core. And then the other 10% was, okay, now that we've got that, how do we put the icing on this cake? You know, I looked around and I said, all of my rock heroes are heroes. Where are the villains? There were no villains. And I went, I can fill that spot. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> right? Isn't it? God, what a, what, a, what a completely different kind of, I, yeah, it's, it's a different kind of mind that that would occur to. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's an obvious, right. great idea. When you hear, it's one of those obvious, it's one of those ideas that's so big that when you hear it, you wonder like, why didn't someone else already come up and see that same v- vacancy, right? Yeah, right. Wow. But he did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have all these Peter Pans and no Captain Hook. <laughs> so I went, well, I will gladly be Captain Hook. Now, if you get if you get to be Captain Hook, then you get to wrap the show around it. Oh, yeah. And nobody had ever done that before. Nobody had ever made the lyrics come to life on stage. 
like a Broadway show, except that it's hard rock. And I didn't want it to be so slick. I wanted it to be rough. But it was still the lyrics coming to life. If you say, welcome to my nightmare, give them the nightmare. You know, have a bed there with things coming off from under it, and you know. But it was very rehearsed. Our rehearsals took forever. Yeah, it's so much. It's so fun playing a villain, isn't oh. it? Like, why? What is that? Why? Why? It, it was just for me. I always liked the villain. You know, uh, I guess it's because he was always arrogant, and he was always in total control in his mind. But you knew he was going to blow it somewhere. At the end of our show, Alice always got executed. Because you can't let the villain win. He'd get executed, and then the next thing you know, he's the curtains open. He comes out, and he's all in a white top hat and tails. <laughs> he's back. You know, <laughs> I, you know, as an actor, I think I kind of figured it out on an on an operational level. As the villain, you, you never have to w- wonder too hard about what their agenda is. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're exactly. You know. Um, there was something swashbuckling about the villain also. I always threw a little Zorro in there, too. I always made sure that Alice had a rapier sword. In fact, it's Errol Flynn's sword, the one I use on stage, the one he used in Captain Blood. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, Alice is a huge fan of classic Hollywood film, and we'll get into that in the next episode. But mm. yeah, that was actually Errol Flynn's sword that he oh used my God. in his shows. That is so cool. So there's a little history up there too, and it's always, you know, you pick something up, you flip it up, and you know, you look very good at doing that. You know, nobody <laughs> nobody was better than Basil Rathbone at that. He was the best. <laughs> Basil Rathbone, my goodness, uh, yeah. you do know your film. Oh yeah, he was the best. He was he, he could yeah. look so good and so arrogant. And you knew he was going to get it in the end. Yeah, it's the, what was it, Tower of Roses? Or the, or he did so many. Well, the, one of the funniest ones, of course, was Danny Kaye, the court jester. Oh, yeah. It was one of the funniest right. things ever, where every time you snapped your finger, Danny Kaye would be the best swordsman in the world. And then you snap it back, and he would be, you know, just a total oh, klutz. Yeah. Danny Kaye was brilliant. I mean, his the songs that were just... Unbelievable. Uh, forgive me, uh, but where did the name Alice Cooper come from? At that period in time, that was about 1970, maybe, 69, 70, we found out there was another band called the Naz. We were called the Naz at that time. Todd Rundgren's band was called the Naz, so we had to change the name. And we sat around, may have been smoking, I won't say if we were or not, and... You know, some of the names came up, and they were horrible. The Husky Baby Sandwich, you know, <laughs> things like that. You know, That's a great name for a band. Which is a great name now. It'd be a great punk name. But I was sitting there, and I went, what if it went the other way? What if we had a name that sounded like the sweet little old lady that lived down the street that made cookies for everybody? And the first name I could think of was Alice Cooper. I was thinking Betty Crocker, but I said Alice Cooper. And that just stuck. We could not get that name out of our... It just stayed there. And finally I went, okay, Alice Cooper. That's going to piss off every parent in America. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> what What was your overall reaction when you started getting backlash from, from Shock, Rock, your, Shock Rock and the, 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 the shows? It, couldn't have found anything that helped our career better. <laughs> when we got banned in England, 
we got two MPs tried to ban us. And there was no internet, remember, now. This is just urban legend that got over to England. And by the time I got there, who knows what they heard about us, you know, because they, it got so, it just got so big. And uh, Mary Whitehouse was an MP, decided that we were morally wrong for England. And then Leo Absey decided. As soon as they tried to ban us, the record went right to number one, and we sold out every ticket at Wembley. And they couldn't ban us because there was nothing in the show. I always kept it in bounds. There was nothing that could be banned. There was no bad language. There was no nudity. There was no, nothing anti-Christian. There was no, no, there was no satanic. But it just was unwholesome. <laughs> it, it, it reeked of... Really? It was that sideshow that you weren't allowed to go see in the, at the carnival. You, you kind of wanted to go, but you went, uh, uh, I don't want to go. <laughs> but that's who we were. And then when people saw it, they went, oh, this is great. I never thought it was going to be that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So we lived on this reputation that kids shouldn't see this show. <laughs> that was like the... Uh, uh, and of course, they want to see what they're not supposed to see. Remember when they rated records? Yeah, yes. Every, yeah. Everybody couldn't wait to get that yeah. stamp on their thing because <laughs> yeah. your record was going to go crazy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I've been dying to tell this story because uh, there's a crossover between Alice Cooper and one of my music heroes, okay. Frank Zappa. Oh, really? Zappa, for those who don't, I'm not going to go into too much about Zappa because I won't stop, but he's he has kind of a Zelig kind of Forrest Gump presence in 20th century music. Yeah, he's kind of everywhere. Yeah, and he seems to have been connected to every important event in rock history. And so, you know, Alice Cooper told, told this story someplace else. <clears throat> One of the things that preceded Alice Cooper back in the day, you know, by reputation, was... Uh, this urban, urban legend, as he referred to it, that he had bitten the head off of a live chicken on stage. And, you know, without the internet and that kind of thing, as he pointed out, it just kind of had a life of its own and got told and retold and probably exaggerated and stuff. And people probably <laughs> believed it. <laughs> but the origin of that story is that he is from, uh, he's from Chicago, isn't he? want to say he's from Detroit. Okay, Detroit. Okay. Uh, but uh, but urban. You're right. He's an urban kid. And uh, during one of his shows, and I don't know why, this is the part of the story that I'm missing, um, some fan threw a chicken yes. up on stage. Yes. It was, he didn't know this was coming. And he sort of theatrically sort of cradled it and was like, oh, he looked at it menacingly or whatever, <laughs> and then threw it up into the air because as a city kid, he thought it was going to fly away. <laughs> it was like, it's going to be really dramatic. It's going to fly over the crowd and bye-bye. It didn't. It's just kind of like he threw it and then it just like went into the crowd and then the crowd went. I don't know, crazy, tore the chicken to pieces with yeah. their bare hands. And I think uh, Alice Cooper was pretty horrified <laughs> by this. <laughs> and then it gets talked about and passed around. And then he gets a call from Frank Zappa. <laughs> and Frank Zappa is like, did you bite the head off a chicken in your show? And he's like, No. I thought it was going to fly away. I don't know why this <laughs> happened. <laughs> and now people are saying this horrible stuff. And Frank says, 
don't correct them. Do not tell them the real story. They love it. Everyone <laughs> loves the idea that you bit the head chicken, beat the head off a chicken on stage. <laughs> Because he's right. <laughs> the story that precedes him is so much more interesting than what actually happened. He t- oh, he told me that like he'd heard the Who's talking about my generation, mm-hmm. and that had this kind of like anthem quality to it that that an entire generation of young people could get behind and accept. And he thought, well, what else? What else is there that that makes them feel like that? And he was started thinking. He was like, hmm. Oh man, yeah, the last minute of the last period of high school. Oh. And watching the clock tick down in sixth period. And then when it gets, when you watch the needle strike 12, that feeling that everyone, everybody screams and cheers and runs outside and it's summer. If we can make a song that encapsulates that, we will have our. Talking Anthem. about my generation. Oh, yeah. gosh. Yeah. School's out for summer. summer. You know, right? School's out forever. Yeah. yeah. And he said, you know, you, you know what that, that drum beat is? And I was like, yeah, I've heard that. What is that? He goes, hold on, wait. Let me guess. Just, just, just from you singing it, I could be completely, totally wrong. My, my, my thought is Bolero. It is. Wow. Again though, but like what what a I think to a lot of artists their inspiration is sort of unknown to them. Right? You're um it it's like lightning and it comes out of the sky or whatever, or you uh or a dream or, or something. That is a mark of his intelligence to deconstruct it, to reverse engineer a hit song like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And say like, you know, like where, where, where's, <laughs> where's all the teenage emotion at? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go find what what's going to get them super excited. Right. Last day of school, not just the last day of school, the last minute, the last second of school. Let's milk that. Yeah. (laughs) So smart. And it worked. (laughs) The Well is produced, recorded, and edited by Brandon Edgens and myself, Anson Mount. Theme music by Jonathan Myberg. Special thanks to Alice Cooper for taking the time to sit down with us. And we'd also like to thank the Philadelphia Comic-Con for being such great hosts. And thanks to you for listening. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>